Each week on Emergency, you will hear discussions from EMTs, paramedics, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, and other healthcare professionals who are experienced providers in emergency medical care. These guests discuss their personal experiences in the world of emergency, as well as what it takes to provide care in some of the most stressful environments possible. There will also be honest conversations with people who have received emergency medical care, and they will bravely share their experiences as a patient who may have needed an emergency intervention. Expect funny, educational, and insightful conversations, which will illuminate the humanistic side of an often misrepresented profession. The Emergency Podcast is hosted by me, Samantha Barella, owner of Emerge Education Solutions and I'm also a currently licensed paramedic. Hello, everybody. This is Samantha. I want to give you a heads up that um, our episode today may contain some profanity language as well as some uh, gross descriptions about human anatomy and injuries and illnesses. So listener discretion is advised. Let's jump into our episode. You are listening to the Emergency Podcast with me, Samantha. I'm your host. Um, I wanted to share some of my own story today with you all. Um, It's super important that I do this um, for several reasons. So um, episode three, I had talked with Robert Arrieta and we talked about his journey with mental health. And I really felt convicted after recording that episode with him. I feel really convicted to talk about my own story and I feel convicted because I do not think it would be fair of me to ask somebody like Robert to share his story and be that vulnerable without being willing to share my own story. And so um, while you will see some differences in our story, um, I think that the undertone of both stories is very similar. So I do want to share with you my own story, and I'm really excited to hear anyone else's story um, that might be similar to this because I really, like I said in episode three, I do think that this is a topic that we do not pay um, enough attention to, especially as first responders, and I do think that it affects a lot of us. So my story and um, struggle with some of the, um, I guess, impact of the job um, has manifested in some some a form of depression for me. Um, I didn't have any of the substance um, abuse issues that Robert has struggled with, um, but I think that we both are struggling in our own way, just like many of you are. And I really want to send the message too that it's okay to not be okay, but I, then I have to question. <laughs> Who does 911 call when 911 needs 911? So that's been part of my my struggle as well. And um, so a little bit of history on me is that I've been in EMS for 13 years now. I became an EMT in 2006 and I was in a volunteer department and I responded to some calls, but I don't think I responded to very many to sit to count that I guess um, as experience so I I really start counting from 2007 when I got into the fire academy um, for one of the local fire departments and I became a firefighter EMT and um, then I became an intermediate now known as advanced EMT a year later and two years after that I uh, went to paramedic school 
and got became a licensed paramedic. So I've been a paramedic now for 10 years. And um, most of my experience has been in the pre-hospital setting. And I have worked in several local emergency room departments um, in, in a couple of different hospitals here locally. And so um, I've gotten to see a lot of the in-hospital as well as the pre-hospital side of things, which um, has really, I think, been quite an eye-opening experience um, to be able to put both of those together. But I think most of my struggles in EMS come from the pre-hospital environment, um, which is so uncontrolled. Um, and you also um, don't know really what you're walking into in the world, in society. And so I had a really bad call. Um, and this was the beginning of my mental health journey was this call. But I do want to preface, before I describe the call to you, I do want to preface that I don't think it's one call for us that really is, is uh, we don't, we don't just have one big call and then it's like things fall apart. I think that it's just a buildup and it takes that one call to um, cause crumbling. So each call, each trauma, and I'm not talking physical trauma, I'm talking uh, psychological trauma of being exposed to certain things. Uh, and everybody's different and what triggers for them um, is going to be a different trigger for me. So each of those psychological traumas not being dealt with over time um, are cracks. And eventually all of those cracks is going to just take one call to really cause um, your mental health to crumble, essentially, is, is my belief because of my own experience. So I do think that over the course of several years, I had experienced um, some intense calls and had seen some intense things. But it took this one call to really um, crack my mental health, I think. Um, and it was a call that um, uh, it was an individual who had a male um, who had murdered the mother of his children. He had three kids. He murdered the mother, mother of his children. And then he um, took the youngest kid who was about three or four and held the kid hostage. And so he was on the run for 24 hours. And then he... Um, kind of held the kid hostage in a SWAT standoff. And how I got involved in that is that um, SWAT called us to be on standby, called the EMS to be on standby. That way we were that much closer if something were to go south or somebody was to get injured, we were right there and we could get them, treat them, take them to the hospital. So we were on standby on this call for about five hours. Um, and it was in the middle of the nighttime. And even, even talking about this call, I can... Uh, vividly see it in my mind. Um, so we were on this call for about five hours and this man finally through um, hostage negotiations finally let this his son go, this, this little kid. And so um, when he let the kid go, we were called in to come and um, assess the kid and just make sure that the, the kid was okay. And how can anyone be okay after that, right? Um, but so um, that's when we were making our entry onto the scene um, and then this uh, person killed himself. And from what I was told, um, the child was running away from the vehicle that he was holding the child hostage in. The child was running away toward the cops and he, uh, this person then shot himself in the chest. And um, when the child heard the gunshot, he turned around so he saw his dad uh, basically fall to the ground from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
Um, and so we were called in. I pronounced this gentleman dead. And um, then we now focused our attention to this child. And so we were, we had this child in our ambulance. He fell asleep on the gurney eventually. Um, but the, the cops had tried to get him to eat some food. So they had like a happy meal for him. And this poor little child was just not receptive to, he didn't want to eat. He just laid on our gurney and cried and cried and cried. And I remember just sitting in the captain's chair in the back of our med, watching this poor little child cry. We tried to, um, put him on our lap and hug him and he was of course very shy and upset but there was really nothing we could do other than try to comfort him and he eventually wanted to lay down on the gurney and go to sleep so um, we allowed him to do so and we just kind of sat and watched him and um, we really didn't talk and this lasted for a couple of hours while law enforcement tried to arrange his family um, to come and get him. So this poor child lost not only his mom, but he also lost his dad in the matter of uh, 48 hours-ish. So, um, and he's so tiny, you know, three or four, he doesn't understand what, what is happening or what happened to his parents. And so all of that just really was hard for me to deal with. And it was the emotional side of seeing the brutality and the ugliness of humanity, I guess, and, and the impact it has on innocent lives like this poor little kid. So they finally um, arranged his family to come and get him. I don't remember if it was grandma or aunt or somebody, but um, somebody came and they got this poor little kid. And um, we went back to the station, business as usual. If I recall, I think we got off that next morning and it was the sun was already coming up by this time. And so we got off the next morning and, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, business as usual. We got shift change chores to do. I got to make sure the narcs are accounted for. You know, it was just business as usual. Uh, did I write all my charts? Everything's in the computer and putting all my stuff away, going home. What I got to do for the day. It was just, you know, business as usual. Um, but then immediately after that, the very night we got off shift, I started having nightmares and I can still clearly see the face of this gentleman that who killed himself, um, when I declared him dead. Um, so I can still see what he looks like even to this day. And I don't know if you guys can tell in my voice, I can feel like a little bit of emotion coming up as I'm describing this to you. So, um, and I want to share that with you because this still impacts me to this day. This is still something that will probably impact me forever um, because it was so traumatic for me and for my um, psyche too. We are people. Let's not forget. We're people too. We're human beings too. Um, so I started having nightmares about this particular call immediately after. And I probably dealt with that for about two weeks. And I know, I knew from my training in paramedic school, we talk about mental health. I don't think we talk about it enough. And I'm trying to change that. But um, we don't talk about it enough. But I did know that one of the manifestations of trauma, um, PTSD, is having nightmares. And so I had nightmares for about two weeks. I thought that they would just go away and they never did. And so that's when I realized that I needed some help. Um, I also reached out prior to doing anything. I reached out to my partner um, who was with me on that call and I asked him if he was being affected by it. And he said that he was. And so we then both decided to 
reach out to our EAP, which was offered through um, my current, my employer that was at the time. And so I reached out to the EAP and they connected me with a therapist who um, is just somebody I really admire. And I was actually, I was actually really lucky. Um, it was like divine intervention. It was the universe like putting these two people together because I know most people who go look for therapists generally have to go through a couple of them to find the right fit or to find the one that they're most comfortable with. However, I was immediately comfortable um, with this therapist. And so we get um, six sessions, our EAP would cover six sessions, and then she needed to use my insurance if I needed any other um, help. Um, I also want to note that we did not do a CISD um, CISD debrief, uh, so critical incident stress debrief. Uh, we did not partake in that. We did not ask for one, um, which I think I will take 50% of responsibility for not asking for that. But I also think 50% of the responsibility is on that particular department that I worked for then for not mandating that uh, we do a CISD. So we did not do that, um, but I still sought help and got a therapist to help me. And so I went to her and um, told her the story of what was happening and then also had to explain a little bit about the job. And so one of the frustrations I have, and this is not particularly toward her specifically, but I think it's just as the, the mental health profession as a whole. So if there are any therapists listening, if you have anybody who is doing um, any kind of first responder work, it's really important that you do your homework about first responders um, because they shouldn't have to spend their time trying to get help, trying to explain to you what the job is really like. And so that can be really frustrating, not only frustrating for the patient as well as the therapist, but it also like prevents progress from being made during that time too. So that's just going to be one of my, <laughs> one of my rants is try to do a little bit of uh, education on um, first responders. If you have any first responder patients, cause we are a very specific um, group that I think needs a certain specific kind of care. Anyway, so this therapist recommended that I do EMDR, which is, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That's a big word. Um, so EMDR is a when, from what I understand, when the brain gets some sort of trauma, psychological trauma to it, um, naturally the brain's defense mechanism is to suppress those memories so that you don't relive those memories and then have the emotional response that you initially did when you were exposed to that trauma. And so what EMDR does, and she, she thought that I needed EMDR and recommended it because as she was trying to get to the story, there were so many holes in my story that I couldn't remember some of the events that were causing the nightmares, I guess. And so she recommended I do EMDR, which I did. And what it consisted of, for those of you that are not familiar, or maybe you've just heard the term before, is there's different ways of doing it. Um, but essentially what you're trying to do is unlock your, these memories that your brain has suppressed. And one of the ways you do it with EMDR is that she had me hold like these little pods in my hand and they were hooked up to a machine. And the pods vibrate uh, back and forth, left and right, and I get to choose the speed at which they vibrate back and forth, and I also get to choose the intensity at which they, they vibrate. And so 
it's just kind of like a comfort thing essentially to make you feel relaxed but there's something and I don't know the the science behind this and uh, there might be some of you that out there that do know so please feel free to um, shout shoot me an email and um, if you know more about this it's a really cool topic but so I had to hold these pods right and they're vibrating back and forth and um, she's asking me questions about the call and I feel like I was really able to uh, remember these events or specific details of the call that I wasn't able to remember without EMDR. And so I think it's worth a shot. And, and if, if it's something that maybe your therapist or um, you've heard about it and you're interested in it, I think everybody should try it if they think it could be helpful. And then you get to decide if it works for you or not. I, I think it worked for me. Um, but this, this EMDR journey led down a path. Uh, and this was about nine years ago or so. I was a brand new medic when it happened. Um, and so I have been actually getting therapy for 10, nine, 10 years now. Uh, every week, unless it's a holiday or the therapist goes on vacation, God forbid, right? <laughs> um, but I have been going to therapy and I've seen two counselors um, over these nine years. And the only reason I had to get another one is because the one I went to from the get, from the... Um, from when I contacted the EAP, she retired. <laughs> so she referred me to one of her colleagues and who is also a good friend of hers uh, that I felt fully um, able to trust when we made that transition. And so um, this, this mental health that I do, which I also consider it to be self-care, I do this, um, I believe it, I don't like the word uh, religiously, maybe consistently is a better word, but I do this consistently and I'm also very dedicated to it. I have seen um, the fruits of it, I guess, so to speak. And um, I, I just would recommend and really, um, I just want to be really transparent with everybody listening that I think every single one of us could do some therapy and it doesn't make you uh, weak. It doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't all these all these like stereotypes that we attach to it. That is not what it is. Like, I actually think it takes balls to deal with your shit, honestly, to actually face your shit, face your problems, um, face uh, th some of the bad decisions you've made. I think that it takes some shit like some balls to really deal with that stuff. Um, so I think that <laughs> it's important that we try to overcome those stigmas, especially for us in first response, because guys, the reality is, is that you are impacted by it. Um, I I really want to encourage you to get the help that you need. If, if you're not living your happiest life right now, there, you need to do something about it. You need to take ownership and accountability for where you're at and, and take some action. And it's just going to make you better. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a better provider. I think that my empathy has increased from all the therapy I've done. Um, but it actually just spilled over the therapy itself spilled over into like my personal life. And I dealt with some childhood traumas that I dealt with. And then I lost my mom. Um, I got divorced. So all of those big life events, um, I've, I think therapy has really saved my, my sanity and my mental health. Um, but it all started from calls that I had experienced. And even to this day, when I experienced, um, 
patients or, or um, I'm not on a truck anymore, but when I um, was in the field, anything that did impact me where I struggled with particular calls, I did, I already had a therapist. So we talked about it and worked through those things and how I was emotionally impacted by it. And I just think it's good to have uh, someone to talk to about it who can help guide you into the darkness. Um, there's some really cool stuff in mental health that's happening that we're going to talk about, but this is a passionate topic that I have for first responders specifically, because I think we all could benefit from it. And I really just want to shed light on it. Um, and so I probably will have some more guests along the way who are sharing their own stories, um, first responders as well, who are sharing their own stories. And, um, I really want to illuminate, <laughs> I love that word illuminate uh, the humanistic side of our profession, really, because we are people, we are impacted by it. Um, and the story that I told of the call that really impacted me, I really don't think that, well, that specific event may be rare. The level at which it impacted me because of the trauma of the call and just the nature of the call itself, I think is common for all of us. I think if I were to go out and ask all of you guys, name one call that's impacted you the most. I guarantee you within a split second, every single one of you could tell me a call that really hit home for you, really impacted you, really brought up some emotion for you. I don't think many of you would have to sit there for a while and think about it. Um, and so that's what this call was for me. It just really impacted me negatively. And I, I honestly didn't even have the tools. Like I was not given the tools on how to deal with it. I felt like I was trained and told these are the signs you look for of PTSD, but nobody really even told me like what I needed to do about it. Like nobody said, okay, these are the signs. And then these are the steps you need to take. And so I want to actually change that. And I think one of the best steps was to contact my EAP. Um, but there are organizations out there that are really beginning to focus on mental health for first responders. Um, and um, stay tuned because I'm going to have a guest that comes on that talks about a holistic approach toward um, supporting mental health for first responders. So that's to come. Um, but for now, that's my story. And how it manifested for me is not only the nightmares, but what really, uh, how, how mental health has really impacted me is I think in the form of depression. And so I'm it's easy for me to isolate myself. I'm very independent. I, I do my own thing most of the time. No one bosses me around. Ask my brother and my sister. They'll tell you no one's the boss of me. <laughs> Maybe even ask my dad. He'd probably say the same thing. But I do what I want. When I want, I come and go. I just, I, I just feel like I'm very independent in that way. Um, and so how it impacts me is it's easy for me to isolate myself and to not want to go around and be around people. And that I found began to be the norm for me, um, where I felt safer inside my house and not really talking about it, not really being transparent about it with my peers, my friends, my family. Um, it's easy for me to just kind of stay in my house and do my own thing. Um, I really like to paint, so I'll paint a lot or I'll read books um, and do this wonderful, amazing podcast for all of you guys to listen to now. Um, but I do think that it is something that I have found myself. So, so I can do it in one of two ways. I can either isolate and be in my house and or <laughs> I can really schedule myself so that I'm so incredibly busy that I never have to stop. And I think if I were to relate a coping mechanism and parallel it with Robert's story is his is that he uses 
alcohol to self-medicate. I use busyness to self-medicate. And I do that because for several reasons, I think is because it makes me feel like I um, have accomplished something. I feel so good at the end of the day that I've done 10 tasks and I'm a planner and I know there are some planners out there and y'all are going about, y'all about to relate to what I'm going to say. Okay. So you guys can judge me all you want, but I know there are people out there who are um, going to be able to be like, I do the same thing. So I'm a planner. I have a planner. I live by it. I write everything in it and I write stuff down that I've already done that I didn't plan to do just so I can check it off my list. I know there are some of you out there and I'm not the only person that does this. So I'm a planner and what I'll do is I will fill every minute of every day with something to distract me from having to deal with my shit, from having to deal with my emotions. And, and most mental health people would frown upon me paralleling emotions with the word shit. Um, so I should probably not do that. Um, but really th that's the reality of it is I got to deal with my stuff, right? I got to, I got to deal with my emotions and the way I cope and self-medicate and it was actually subconscious the way that I was doing it um, until I actually started going to therapy and I was years into therapy before I had this realization of my own behavior and, and my own coping mechanism and even to this day I easily find myself doing it um, but I have more of a self-awareness of when I'm feeling a certain way and it could manifest in irritability it could manifest in depression and isolation um, and then I just really fill up my planner and do stuff at home all day long so I never have to stop and I never have to think about any of the emotions that I'm trying to avoid so I, I, I would almost bet that there are people out there who could relate to this exact thing I know that there are some of you who are working a full-time fire job full-time EMS job you have a part-time job doing something in EMS or maybe you started a business and on your four days off uh, you're running your business and you have a family and so you have just loaded your plate with stuff to distract you from having to deal with the uh, consequences of neglected mental health and those things are going to build up and they snowball and snowball but I, I really want to get to feelings, too, and that a lot of us, I don't think as a society, we really teach uh, our kids or each other how to actually feel things and that we do need to feel things and use those feelings as kind of guides on how you're going to get through life and get through the world. Um, but I don't think we do a very good job of teaching people how to identify what they're feeling and then teaching them, okay, when you're frustrated, you have options of A, B, and C. This is what you can do to deal with that. Um, or, or what you're feeling right now is frustration. What you're feeling right now is sadness. What you're feeling right now is grief. We don't really do a good job of, uh, of putting words to these emotions we're experiencing as people. Um, so if we could do that, then we wouldn't be afraid to feel our feelings, which can sometimes be intense. But my therapist said one of the biggest uh, golden nuggets of advice I've ever been given is that feelings are like a sailboat. And when a sailboat, when a storm comes and a sailboat tips the sail, uh, the wind tips the sailboat over, it always rights itself. And that's what I think feelings are in that that piece of advice really helped me work through some of the intense emotions that I was holding on to that I was afraid to feel and really trying to avoid um, is that in the moment when you're feeling it and it's really intense and it's really difficult just remember the sailboat always writes itself and that I found to be very calming um, and still do when I am struggling 
Um, it's just the human human experience, I think, to have feelings and to struggle. But going to therapy really gave me a lot of tools in my toolbox. It Going to therapy isn't going to prevent you from experiencing um, emotional trauma, especially in our field. We're, we're constantly subjecting ourselves to this trauma. So there's no way you're not going to feel anything from it. Just because I've been in 10 years of therapy, some people might be like, well, you should be good now. You've been in it for 10 years. Well, I don't think I'll ever be good because I'm constantly exposing myself to these traumas. It's just now I have this amazing toolbox and support system of people to help me get through those traumas. Whereas before I didn't have those. And so I want to encourage everybody to do the same. You guys get you a toolbox, fill it with tools that work for you, that are going to improve your life, not destroy it, but improve your life, improve you as a person, improve ultimately then your family, your kids, your marriages, your partnerships, your relationships, your friendships, all of those things are going to improve because you worked on yourself because you dealt with your shit. And it really takes balls to face those things as opposed to run from them or be busy and be distracted all the time by them because you don't want to feel them. Also, we are going to set a really good example for each other, right? The more of us that are, that are really dealing with our shit and getting help, our kids are going to see that. Our kids are going to want to be better for it. Your families are going to be better for it. Your partnerships are going to be better for it. And a lot of times I think we don't, um, one of my struggles was that it was hard to find anybody who could relate to me unless you're actually doing the work. And so you could go home and I've had, um, you know, boyfriends and partnerships. I was married once and I would go home and, and talk about these, these calls and stuff, but it was really hard because I don't think anyone actually understood unless they actually did it. Um, unless you're actually in the job and you understand what that feels like to be in that moment and to be exposing yourself and to have this sympathetic response. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people can relate to that unless they actually experience it. So that was one of my struggles too, but I want everybody to know that um, I'm a resource for you. If I can't help you, I'm sure I can find someone who can help you. If you think you're struggling right now, if if anything that I've said today resonates with you and you just don't know where to go, you can email me. You email me and I will email you back. And my email is emergeeducationsolutions at gmail.com. Uh, you email me and I will, I will help you find the resources you need. Now, I want to say that I'm not a mental health therapist. I'm not trained in mental health. I'm only a recipient of it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not qualified to help you the way you deserve to be helped, but I am qualified to help get you resources of people who are qualified to help you. So please, I want to encourage you to reach out to me if anything in what I've shared with you today resonates with you, like I said, or, um, you find that you're struggling in a similar way, um, and, and you're just ready to be happier. You reach out to me and I will get you the resources that you need to be a happier person and a healthier person. So on that note, thank you for bearing with me. Um, I know this is not the brightest of topics, but I really want to just say you're supported, you're loved. I love EMS. I love you guys out there doing the job. I get it. I get it 100%. Uh, you're supported. There is support out there for you guys. And um, if you need anything, you reach out to me and I will help you in the best way that I can. 
So until next time, stay tuned. Uh, we got some good stuff coming up on the next episodes. Um, so stay tuned and I will talk with you later. Thanks for listening to the Emergency Podcast. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. If you liked the conversation today, please go to the Emerge Education Solutions Facebook page and like it. Thanks again and talk to you soon. Thank you.